0: Amen, well, whether you're watching online or in the lobby or here, welcome. If you're new and you stumbled in here today and you wanna know what are we about, that video tells you what we are about. We are about planting churches that plant churches. We love Brian Davis, we love his wife, Becca. We are already, I'm hearing stories of people who are gonna leave our church and they're gonna say a gospel goodbye and they're gonna move uh, to, uh, to Noda or to uh, Charlotte into, into Plaza Church. I actually had, uh, last night, we have a Saturday night service, if you don't know that, and, and if you didn't know that, you could go to that service instead of this one free up some seats. But we, we have a Saturday night service last night and there was, a, there was a group that was there, about five of them. They came up to me afterwards and said, hey, we're a community group here. We're all in the same community group. And we came to the Saturday service here because tomorrow we're just gonna go surprise Brian and surprise uh, the Plaza Church, and we're just gonna worship with them tomorrow. I thought, that's awesome. And so this is what we do. We plant churches that plant other churches. We plant churches that have a city vision, not just a church vision. Brian's less interested in building a church and way more interested, you can hear it in that video, in reaching a city. And what churches are all about is making and mobilizing disciples. Here's something that's interesting, if you didn't know this. There is not one command in the entire Bible that has to do with planting churches. Even though the Apostle Paul, and if you know him, he wrote half the New Testament, he gave his life, he suffered, and he sacrificed, and he risked to plant churches. Why? Because we believe this, and if you're a part of our church, you know this, or if you've been a part of a good, healthy church, you know this. Good, healthy, gospel-centered churches are the best way to make and mobilize disciples. And so that's what we're about, and we're going to be giving, I'm going to tell you a little bit in a moment about this, uh, this forward initiative. We're going to be giving 10% of whatever comes in, we told you, to local, national, global partners. Brian and Plaza Church is going to be one of our national, or is going to be our national partner for this. Uh, when you came in today, on your seat was a forward card, okay? It's a commitment card. By the way, please hear me say this like super clearly. If you are new, this is not for you, okay? <laughs> if you just came in here and this is your first time, Or you've just been checking us out a few times. If you are new, this is not for you. You you came on the best weekend you could have come, though, okay? Because you go, we've only done this one other time in the history of our church. We're calling this commitment weekend. Here's what's so cool. If you're new and you're a guest and you're not a part of our church, but you're just checking us out, you're gonna get to see, you're gonna get a front row seat today to see how generous our church is and to see how much our church loves our city and our world. And so here's what we're doing, guys. We have been. And most of you have been following along online or in here, and you know this, we've been in a five-week series. We're in our fifth and final week of a series that we've been praying for and anticipating and planning for seriously at one level about 18 months. And this whole series has been about two things, and I hope it's been real clear because I think I say the same thing every time I get up here, but let me say it again. It's about our church going forward, but much more it's about you personally and your family and your marriage and your children moving forward. So our church is moving forward, guys. God has opened up 10 acres in downtown, and and, and even throughout the series, I don't have time to tell the stories, all the stories of God continues to open up doors. It has been so obvious that God is going ahead of us, and we are going to build a 1,284 seat, it's finalized, worship center, okay? And it's going to be a home, and it's going to be a hub. It's going to be a place of prayer. It's going to be a place of worship. It's going to be a place of the word, it's gonna be a home because we are a church family and it's going to be a hub because from there we're going to go everywhere. We are so excited about that. Okay, we're gonna to continue to update you, tell you how it's gonna go and see the progress. Um, it, but we're also, we want you to go forward personally. So here's here's another great story of us going forward individually and personally as a church or as, as Christians in this church. Uh, Justin, who is the greatest student director uh, you could ever have, He told me that in the last, uh, as soon as you say his name, people just want to clap. Yeah, Justin, yes. Um, We love Justin. That he told me that in the last few weeks, we've had five students in our student ministry give their lives to Christ. Isn't that awesome? And so that's, that's people moving forward, right? That's you taking your first step. You can't move forward if you're not in the faith. And so that's incredible. Uh, and then let me tell you, we, we've had two goals for this whole series. I know this is kind of a big intro, but it's, it's the last last day and it's good day, so give me, give me a little grace here as I kind of explain all this. On the card is two goals. Uh, we said it the whole time. We wanted, a, we wanted every person who calls Two Cities Church home to give a one-time gift above and beyond normal tithes and offerings before the end of the year, uh, and, and that we'd have 100% participation. That's our first goal. Uh, the second goal is that we'd raise at least $2 million in one-time gifts, at least before the end of 2021. And we're continuing to see stories, right, at every level. I'm enjoying watching it with my my kids. So I'll tell you something. So I've got three kids. Some of you know this. They're nine, they're seven, they're five. And my wife, she's always, she's just this great mom, and she's got all these parenting hacks. And she she teaches me them, and then I do them too. One of our parenting hacks, and I'll give this to you for next year. One of our parenting hacks is once, about a week goes by after Halloween, and you're tired of all the candy, and your kid's asking for the candy and everything, you offer them to pay them, small amount of money for the rest of their candy okay so this is what we did I literally said to them, okay we, we will give you this is only good for 24 hours we will give you $10 for the rest of your candy and you can keep your three it was three or your five favorite pieces and and all of them they had to wrestle with it right back and forth are you sure can we do 12 no $10 okay um $10 and this deal is not good tomorrow morning so you have to decide do you want $10 you want your candy well all three of them said all right we'll do the $10 and then William said actually that's my middle child my oldest son He said, I'm actually going to give my $10 to the Ford initiative. I thought, great. And then yesterday, because we came to Saturday night service, right as we were getting ready, he goes, okay, I'm going to double it. I'm going to give $20 to the the Ford initiative. So anyway, incredibly encouraged by that. Here's another thing that happened. So just yesterday, I tend to get all these emails on Saturdays. But but this this person emailed me yesterday, great person. Uh, And and literally, I mean, I'm going to take a little liberty with with kind of sharing the story, uh, paraphrase a little bit. But basically, he sends me this email, and he says, hey, listen, We are a middle-class family on a single income with small children, okay? And if you don't know this, there are dinks, double income, no kids, okay? If you are a double income, no kid, that's very different than a silk. Single income, lots of kids, okay? (laughs) Right here, some of us are, when you move from dink to silk, it's painful, Um, (laughs) right? With Two incomes for two people, one income for three people. It's different. Um, uh, and so he said we, we, he said, we didn't even know if we'd be able to give to this initiative. We wanted to. I got a performance bonus, he said. And so he said, what I'm going to do is, I, I don't know what the bonus was for He didn't tell me. He said, but I'm going to give $2,000 to this initiative. I've also been challenged to increase my giving. We're at 4% of, our, of my salary. We're going to move it to 7% and planning on by September getting it up to 10%. So I thought, wow. And then I got a chance finally to get in contact with that millennial family that that gave $100,000. And I told you how, I mean, they've got young kids and how just, what a massive gift that was. And and I said to him, I said, help me. I talked to the husband. I said, help me understand. What is going on in your mind and your heart to to have that much money, but then decide to to give that much money away? And they said, well, we just, we've got young kids. We actually think this is where they're going to come to faith in Christ. And we actually think this is where they're going to experience. We're not going anywhere. We're living in Winston-Salem long term. We think this is where they're going to be discipled. And we thought the best investment in the kingdom of God was to do it where we thought our kids were going to come to Christ and be discipled. So this is what today's about, guys. Today's going to be a really special moment. I mean, it was, you know, <laughs> we were here last night, you know, and 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 I'm, I'm sitting in the front row with my wife, and that's, at the end of the service, she's just, during both worship songs, just crying because because it, it's just such a moving moment. You're going to get to see at the end of the service, Pastor Jay's going to come up here and we are going to have a commitment Sunday. It's gonna be a visible demonstration. Here's what this means, that during, any time during the service day, you can take that card, and if you're part of our church, you can fill it out. It won't offend me if you fill that card out while I'm preaching. People have fallen asleep while I'm preaching. That offends me just a little bit. (laughs) It does. It does. It's like the international sign for boredom. I mean, but it's like, you know, so, but you can fill you can fill out that card during any time during the service, um, and then we're gonna have a special moment. Buckets are gonna be up here. It'll be very clear the directions. But we're gonna have a we're gonna actually. So this whole series is called forward. We're gonna step forward, uh, each family, each couple, to 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 say, Lord, would you bless this? And we don't we're not ultimately giving this to the church. We're ultimately giving this to the Lord. Let's pray, and then we're gonna dive into our last last sermon, last text in this series. Very excited about it. Let's pray. Lord, I love our church. I do love Lord. I'm grateful that it does feel like a family. And we're able to laugh together. We're able to share stories. Lord, even just thinking about all the conversations that have happened in homes, between couples, between families, even lots of prayers, Lord, that's been prayed over the last couple weeks. What, What could we give? What should we give? All the tensions that we feel even as we head into Christmas, Lord, help us to be generous help us to be wise, all of the tensions, help us to be good stewards, help us to manage well and be generous. Lord, as we look at this last passage of scripture, a very short passage, would you bless the reading of your word, Lord? As we read a passage all about being committed to the word and prayer, would you take this prayer and would you bless your word? We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, grab your Bible. If you've got a real Bible, flip to. If you've got a phone Bible, find. Uh, Acts chapter six. Acts chapter six, this is a really, this maybe be a shorter sermon, we'll see. Uh, uh, this is gonna only be seven verses that we're gonna look at. Acts chapter six, verses one to seven, but I do wanna just catch us all up because some of you, you know, you haven't been here the whole time and it's important. So we're, we're, every sermon and every text has been really important in understanding how do we go forward. So we understand this, that week one was you go forward by feeding your faith. That was chapter one. I just want you to know this. You'll see this again today. We are a Bible-saturated, word-centered church. That's all we do. We open up our Bibles. We open up our lives. And all that we try to get you to do is do that in your home and do that in your community group and do that in your marriage. So, So you go forward by feeding your faith. Week two was you go forward by fighting for fellowship. That when it comes to getting connected to Christian community, you have two options. You can make excuses or you can make plans. You can make excuses or you can make progress. We've got almost 90 people signed up for this final weekender of 2021. Here's why I think that is, this happens every time. We've been doing this for years. Why is our December weekender often our biggest weekender? Because people realize I have to make different decisions if I'm going to have a different life. If I'm gonna step forward and take my faith seriously, I can't do it alone. So every December we have a really big weekender with everybody who says, I wanna go into the new year making new decisions connected to a community. Uh, third, so that was week two, and then the third week was we, we move forward by facing our fears, right? And some of you, we said this, some of you are anxious. You're anxious all the time. You struggle with peer pressure. You struggle with codependency. You struggle with people-pleasing. And what you do, and this, this works, this is what you do, you're supposed to say your prayers and then voluntarily and incrementally confront your fears, one of the things we challenge you to consider, and let me just put it before you again, is in the next year or two, could you go on a short-term mission trip? We're gonna open up more and more mission trips. And our mission trips are discipleship microwaves, okay? You will, grow so, you will grow more in one week than you possibly would in one year when you go on these mission trips. That's what God does on us. Also, if you are a college student, we're gonna have something this summer called the Acts 18 Project, where you can spend your entire summer growing spiritually, Give seven weeks of your summer to local, national, global missions. If you go on our college page, we'll tell you more about that there. And then last week, we, we saw that the, you move forward by funding the mission. We said, this, we said this from day one, that generosity fuels and funds the mission. Here, here's how a church works. This is how anything works, but particularly how a church works. The leaders cast the vision, and we set the direction. And then the congregation determines by their generosity the pace and the speed. So we say, hey, one day we would like to do this. And sometimes the church gets really generous and goes, one day is going to be today (laughs) because we're just going to give to this. And so today is a crucial turning point in the book of Acts. I wish we had time. I wish we had 20 more weeks in this series and we would get, or 22 more weeks, and we would get a chapter a week and we would get through all 28 chapters. But today we're in chapter six. And here's what's happening today there's going to be a temptation to compromise there's going to be a temptation um, to stop doing the most important things and start doing other things. This is the moment, and I'll show it to you in a second, in Acts chapter six, where there's a transition in the book up until chapter six, a few people do everything. I don't know if you've noticed that. So if you read the first five books, you're like, it's always Peter, it's always James, it's always John, it's always the apostles. It's always the same 12 names, I don't get it. The church is growing by thousands of people, but it's always the same guy who's preaching. What's, What's going on? And there's this moment and we're gonna see it say in chapter six, where it goes from, okay, it can't be a few people do everything. that That's what happens, and that's why pastors, especially, they burn out, okay, because they get exhausted or they blow up, they're overwhelmed so they get into secret sin. Okay, This happened, this can happen to a family, this can happen to a pastor, this can happen to anybody. They take way too much on themselves. And so this is a really great transition. And this is what we've we've tried to build our whole church on. It rises right out of scripture. We cannot have a few people doing everything. We have to instead have everybody do a few things. That's it. That's the whole message for today. In fact, what I'm gonna do is, is I'm gonna read you, I didn't do this last night, but I'm gonna do things a little differently this morning. I'm gonna read you the whole passage and then we're gonna go through it because I want you to hear it. It's real short, it's real simple. But the church is going to have problems, and they're going to fix the problems, and then the church is going to explode in growth again. And, and by the way, that's what we're just going to do until Jesus comes. The church is going to have problems. By the grace of God, we're going to fix those problems, according to what Scripture says, and then God's going to bless, and we're going to grow again. So let's just look. Okay, ready? Now, in these days, I'll go back and explain what these days were. These days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews. Okay, so you got two different groups of people because the church has grown and so all of a sudden you got different groups because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. They were giving out food or they were giving out finances and there were certain groups of people that were being overlooked. And the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. So this could be a moment where they could say, well, we should stop preaching and teaching and just pick up one more thing. And we should start serving the tables and and not and no longer preach and, and, and pray. Th- thank goodness they didn't do that, but this is what they're saying. Verse 3, therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom whom we will appoint to this duty. And then they recommit in Acts 6-4. And please hear me say this. This church is a 6-4 church. This church has a six-four ministry. We want your home to be a six-four home. (laughs) It's very simple, look. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. Christians know this is what should happen. This is right. The word and prayer are so important, they need enormous amount of attention. In fact, in every church, certain people should do nothing else. They should not work a secular job because it's that important for a few people to give primary attention to this, and it serves the whole church. So it says this, but we will devote ourselves to prayer, and the ministry of the word, verse five, and what they said pleased the whole gathering. And so they chose Stephen. We'll hear about him later. He's the first martyr, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And Philip, he's the first evangelist. We learn about him more in Acts chapter eight. And uh, Procorius, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed, and they laid their hands on them. So that's it. So what happens is at the end of the day, there's a problem that arises. They deal with the problem. We'll look at how they deal with it. And then this is it, guys. If you pray for our church. Or if you go, I don't know, I'm tired of praying for the church the same way. I don't know how to pray for the church. Pray Acts 6, 7 over us. When you're walking up with your commitment card this morning, and you're going, what what is this card going to, what is this offering going to hopefully make happen? We're hoping chapter 6, verse 7. Here's what we want to see happen. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. This is what we're hoping for. Let's go back to verse one. I want want us to walk through each thing. It says this. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, I want you to know this, because part of what we're talking about today is it's happening. You guys are going to be generous. We're moving into a new facility, okay? (laughs) So in one sense, there are a lot of things that are going to change, right? Our kids, and you say amen, right? Our worship center is going to get bigger. Our kids space is going to get bigger. You won't have to park a mile and a half away to get here, okay? All of that's going to, get, going to change. But then the most important things are never going to change. So you see, here's what it says. How does a church grow? The disciples increase. That's it. That's the bullseye of our church. This is what we want to do, right? We want to see, we don't want to see religious, we don't want to make you into a religious person, please. We don't want to make you into a moralistic person. We don't want to make you, this happens a lot of times in churches, we don't want to make you into somebody who shows up here to consume religious goods and services. I get an hour and 15 minute of free childcare. I sing some songs that make me feel emotionally happy. I listen to a very discouraging message. <laughs> you know, it's like, that's not what we want. We want to say, okay, we want you to be a disciple. And here's what a disciple is. It's somebody who's following Jesus and helping others find and follow Jesus. And what he's saying is this was exploding. So, guys, just remember this, okay? This is what's happened. The church grew very, very quickly early on. It, it went from 120 to 3,000. Then we saw an additional 5,000. And I've told you because it just talked about the men, we don't know it, the church seems to be somewhere between ten and fifteen thousand people. And so when a church grows, and this is a little bit behind the scenes, but this is just helpful, this is kind of a I want you to see how the church works, and I want you to understand it so you can pray for us and so you can understand even what's going to happen as a church. we're kind of this is kind of like a family talk today. So guys, this is what's going to happen as we move over the next you know two years to this new facility. A church grows three ways it grows numerically. So pray for our church to grow numerically. That means people are meeting Jesus. That means people's lives are being completely changed. Right? I, I had a couple. Uh, last Saturday night after baptisms, they came up to me. They wanted to talk to me. I, start, I said, what's going on, guys? They, they had just gotten baptized, both of them. They said, we got to tell you about how our life has been changed here. They said, the first Sunday we got here, we, could, we were fighting so bad, we almost got turned around, didn't come. They said, we're, that's, how ba- that's how bad our marriage was in. They said, and then everything changed. I said, guys, what happened? They said, we both became Christians here. I said, that's it. And, and, and to know the whole story, and then to see, wait, no, the husband baptized the wife, and she's crying, and they're hugging, and their whole life has been changed. We want people to meet the Lord. We want the church to grow numerically. We want the church to grow spiritually, right? That So numerically is wider. Spiritually is deeper. We want to see, uh, starting with me, we want to see sins repentative. of. We wanna see bitterness broken. We wanna see marriages reconciled. We wanna see dads take responsibility for their families. We wanna see people get their finances in order so that they can be good stewards, both manage and be generous. But here's what most people miss, most churches miss, I think most pastors miss, is that what happens is when a church grows numerically a ton and a church grows spiritually a ton, The church also needs to grow, here's a weird word, but organizationally. It needs systems. It needs structures. It needs support. It needs staffing, right? Think about this. So when our church started, some of you, I won't make you stand, I I do that sometimes, but some, (laughs) I won't. Um, If you were on our launch team, there was 30 of you that moved with us. And that launch team, I spent at least an hour personally interviewing every person on that launch team and having conversations and reading all of their applications. I wouldn't sleep if I had to still do that for every person. We had to create a new system because of the spiritual and the numerical growth that we have experienced. So I want you to see this. What, what's going to happen in this, in this uh, well, I'll just show it to you because it'll be easier. You've read the text already, but let, let's keep going on. I, I want us to see verse one continued. So remember, it says, the disciples are increasing. So you're like, good news, good news, good news, good news. And then part B of the verse. And a complaint. Now this is going to really surprise you guys. Back then, church people used to complain. <laughs> I know, I know, I can't believe it either. Um, <laughs> church people used to complain. I mean, church people still complain, right? Complain about the music. I know no one complains about the preaching, but I've heard that happens at certain places. Um, Complains (laughs) about the preaching. uh, Complains, uh, I'll tell you a big thing that people complain about, the size, right? Because people get used to a size. People get used to a building. People get used to a certain method. And, And so, now, look what happens here. Now, this is a real complaint. We'll see this. A complaint by the Hellenists. And, and if you write in your Bible, you go. You want to make a note here. The, the Hellenists, they were believers. They became believers, but they were Greeks. So they, they had a different culture, okay? This often happens. When, when people come to Christ, there's, there's cultural, you know, we, we bump into each other culturally. So, so what happens here is you got the Hellenists, and they're Greek. It says, and there arose against the Hebrews, and these were Jewish Uh people. Okay, now what was happening here? Well, let's read on, continue on. It says, because their widows, now I'll get to this, because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So one of the things that if you're new, if you're a seeker skeptic, you don't know anything about Christianity, you're like, you're just checking it out, someone invited you. Let me, let me tell you this, this is really interesting. What makes Christianity unique is that every other religion, God, the gods, quote unquote gods, little g-gods, they associate themselves with the powerful you know, which is what you would do if you'd make up a religion, right? Because the religion would be made up by all the powerful people. You know, I'm, I'm the God of Pharaoh, right? I'm the God of the king. I'm the God of the rich. What makes Christianity amazing, it's the only religion where the whole Testament God goes, I'm the God of the orphan. I'm the father to the fatherless. I will be a husband to the widow. I am the God of the poor. He associates himself with the least, the last and the leftovers of society. And so the church has always loved the least and the last. The church has always wanted to have a ministry in the church, a mission in the world, and mercy to those who are least and last. And so what's happening here is this is actually a big deal. It's it's a real problem. And here's another thing just to know that, and I said this a little earlier, but it's just good to know again, problems and pains and pressures are normal in a church. You'd read that church, you go, isn't this a great church? Yeah, I mean, people are getting... Uh, the gospels, if like 5,000 people got baptized, we'd say that's a healthy church. You know, who's leading the church? Apostles. You're like, are they good guys? They wrote the Bible. These are good guys. Now, here's what's interesting. And follow me here because this this is an important principle. They're going to have a problem. We have a problem. Basically, Houston, we have a problem in verse one, right? What we have here is we have groups. We have, have, if Satan can't make you bad, he'll often make you busy, right? We've got a lot of different things going on. And we've got different groups that are, that are fighting. We've got some, some factions. We've got some things that are being overlooked. Now, here's what's interesting. You always have to ask when there's a problem in the church, is this a spiritual problem or is this a systems problem? Let me Because this actually could really help your marriage. <laughs> now, now, we believe here, let me just be clear. We, we believe that the biggest problems in life are spiritual. Your biggest problem is God's problem with you. That's a good way to think about it. Your biggest problem is God's problem with you. That God is angry at your sin, and that Jesus Christ died for you, and that you need to transfer trust to Him. What He's done in His life, death, and resurrection. Your biggest problem is spiritual. It's the first and final place to look. Right? It, there might be un. It's, think about if a marriage is falling apart. You go, well, there might be unforgiveness in this marriage, or there might be dishonesty in this marriage, or there might be secret sin in this marriage. Right? What? 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 There might be deep lust in this marriage. I mean, who knows what's going on? There are spiritual problems, but then there are system problems. Spiritual has to do with your heart. System often has to do with a habit, if that makes sense. Spiritual has to do with your character. System often has to do with your capacity. Here's why this is so important. From what I can tell from this text, and all I have is the text, nobody's told to repent. The Hellenists aren't told to repent. The Hebrews aren't told to repent. We're not told that somebody's sinning. It's not dealt with with a need for confession. Now now the, re- the reason I, I think this isn't sin is because what happened in chapter five? If you remember chapter five that like two people died. It was a character issue. It was a spiritual problem. It was lying to the Holy Spirit. So there are spiritual problems and there are systems problems. I want you to see that sometimes the problem, we get all upset, we want to make it really deep, we want to get really we want to say everyone's got bad motives. the problem in this situation is not a spiritual problem. It's a systems problem. It got really busy. I could see Peter and James and John going, guys, listen, sorry. not Didn't mean for this to happen. I've been in prison. <laughs> uh, sorry, we had 5,000 people come to faith in Christ. We've been baptizing. We've been actually trying to figure out where to baptize 5,000 people. Sorry, guys. In chapter five, all the money was coming in and we were Barnabas gave some and, and then we had to deal with some sin over here and, and I've been trying. We've been trying our best to make sure all the money came in and went to the right people, but guys, we messed up. We have to have the category for leaders make mistakes. We have to have the category for as things grow, things get overlooked, right? These are called growing pains. And I'm not talking about the 1980s show with Kirk Cameron, okay? These are are the pains that happen as a church grows. Look at me, I'll show you this. Verse two, we'll see what happens here. Verse two says this, and the 12th, summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. And they're gonna to begin to put a system in place so they can keep doing the most important thing they need to do. Now, now let me just apply this to, to our church and, and, and to your marriage, and I hope it'll be helpful. Think about it this way. Say, and a lot of our, you know, we have over 80% of our churches in a community group, right? And I say this all the time, and I, and I love you. If you're not in a community group, but if you're, if, you're, if you're not in a community group, you're really not in our church. And if you're not in a community group, you won't get everything you can out of our church. So so most of you are in a community group. Let, let me just give you kind of something about community group. Community group's really, really hard, like really hard. It's hard. It's hard. I've, I've led it. I've hosted it. I've been in one the whole time I've been here. And, and a lot of times, you'll, you'll talk to a community group leader, and not your community group leader, of course, but but you'll talk to a community group leader, and, and he'll be frustrated. And, you know, and no one's showing up to group, or very few people are showing up to group. And the temptation, and it's the it's the right place to start, is to think it's a spiritual problem. Maybe their marriage isn't doing well. That's why they're not showing up. You know, well, maybe they're they're not Christians and they don't value community. Maybe they're struggling with secret sin. They don't want to show up because then if they show up, then everybody's going to know. Maybe they just, they're worldly and they're overcommitted and they're in activities and academics and athletics and they idolize their kids, okay? And they're trying to vicariously live through their kids and so they don't have any time for it. Okay, good. Those are all spiritual problems. But sometimes you got to say to the community leader, maybe the reason they're not coming to your group is you're terrible at communication and they don't know when group is. And you you haven't given them a clear schedule and your host family's house is a mess. And every time somebody comes over, there's not childcare. And so then they feel dangerous to bring their kids over because there's so many kids and enough childcare and you haven't thought for food and everybody's coming from work, and so there's no, there's ever. I mean, you don't have to pay for everyone to have food, but you've not even thought through how to have food. What do you start realizing? Wait a second, maybe this, let me deal with the spiritual issues. If it's still not happening, maybe it's a systems issue, right? This is really, really helpful. If you'll do this, it's like, check your marriage first for spiritual problems. Is there confession? Is there repentance? Is there prayer? Is the word central? And you go, okay, well, what's wrong with our marriage? Well, it, maybe it's a systems issue you guys don't talk to each other. You, you know how to relax together, you don't know how to relate. It's a systems issue. It's a habit issue, not a heart issue. You spend the last two hours on separate devices. Now at one level, that's a spiritual problem. At another level, it's a systems problem. How many of your marriages would be better if you charged your devices in a different room before you went to bed? You go, well, oh my goodness. Yeah, that would be a simple systems issue. How many people, they, they, they can't get control of their kids. So, oh, my kids, is spiritual. Maybe it's spiritual. Maybe it's a systems issue. You don't have a family meal. You have no investment. How are you going to disciple your kids if you don't set up a schedule where you can have FaceTime with them and invest in them? So we believe yes, yes, both and. This is why the, the, when God in the Old Testament, he gave prophet, priest, king. Why? Because there are spiritual issues, prophet, priest. And there are systems issues, king. So let's see what happens here. We'll go quickly. So it says the 12th Psalm in verse two, the full number of the disciples and said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. So here's what's great. They address the problem right on. Don't answer this out loud, but what problems are you not addressing? Just admit it. And you are hoping, this is what most of us do, this is what I do. I hope that if I avoid a problem or if I ignore a problem, it'll go away. Can I just, if you don't know this, if you're young and you're maybe newly married, you don't know, it doesn't go away. What's gonna happen is like in five years, your wife's gonna be screaming at you and you go, why is she screaming at me? Oh, it's something that we've never dealt with. It's something we decided not to talk about. And so this is amazing because look again at verse two. The 12 summoned the full number of disciples and said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Here's what they're saying. Guys, we have conviction. We have calling. We don't live out of guilt. Can I encourage you not to live out of guilt? After 15 years of ministry, my guilter is broken. (laughs) I'm done living out of guilt. I live out of conviction. And the way that you live out of conviction is you say, I know what God's called me to. I know what my life is supposed to be about. And in the most godly, humble, spirit-filled, Christ-centered way, I'm gonna learn how to say no. Because I actually grow with my no. And so here's what happens. They basically say, listen, we're not doing this, but we're not avoiding the problem. We're not ignoring the problem. We're gonna create a system. And by the way, all good godly systems have people at the center of them because people need to minister to people. So look what happens in verse three. Verse three says this. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. This is amazing. So, what he's saying is, all right, we're going to create a system that's going to be very, very personal. And so, they, they pick seven guys because people minister to people. It could be guys. In, in this situation, it's, it's guys. And if you look what they say, and I'll just go over this really quickly, they say there's three things about them. First of all, they need to be from within and have a good reputation, right? They need to be men or women, but but they need to be men that are respected. They need to be men that are internal, that the church knows and that knows the church. Then it says this, and this is why we know that problems are spiritual and problems are systems, have to do systems. Look what it says here. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute who have two things, full of the spirit. Why? Because we need need them to understand the word of God. We need them to know What we're really about, we're making disciples and mobilizing them for mission in an environment of prayer. And no matter what role you play, whether you're parking cars, right, whether you're an usher, no, no matter what your role is, you understand the why. And this is this, and also full of the spirit and of wisdom. They understand the word that's full of the spirit. They understand the world. They're spiritual and they're practical, whom we will appoint to this duty. And then look at verse four, but... We will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. I want to promise you and recommit that this is what our church is going to be about. We are going to be a six-four church. We are going to be completely about two things here, prayer and the ministry of the word, that's it. I want you to understand the temptation of every church is to give up the prayer and the word and just to serve tables, That's the history of every theologically liberal and mainline church. In the name of compassion, they compromise. We believe genuinely in prayer. We believe that prayer is the place of power. We believe that prayer is the place of intimacy. We believe that prayer is the place of dependence. I don't know if you've ever heard of a guy named Charles Finney. Charles Finney was one of the greatest evangelists uh, he lived mostly during the 1800s, and Charles Finney would go, and there was a unique power on Charles Finney's ministry. If you read about him, some of the greatest revivals that happened happened under his ministry. And they asked him one time. They said, "What is it?" Because if you read his notes, you, you might you might go, "I think I could have written a better little sermon than this." If you look at his sermon, he said, "What was he said? I have a mentor. His name is Father Nash. He called him Father Nash." He says, he says, I've never seen someone sweat blood like Jesus did praying. He said, but on multiple accounts, Father Nash prayed for me in my ministry so hard, his nose bled. He said, Father Nash would often lay on the floor and he would pray over our city on a cold day until he was full of sweat. And Charles Finney accredited all of the power of his ministry to Father Nash. And interestingly, almost like out of the Bible, when Father Nash died, Charles Finney's ministry was over. He didn't have a moral failure. He just, the power of his ministry was gone. We believe in the power of prayer. And it takes time. I heard a guy this week, he was, or a couple weeks ago, he was telling a story about his dad. He said, my dad pastored a really small church He said, but what I remember is my dad took a section of the attic and every morning I would see the door open to the attic and my dad would go up into the attic and he would pray for our whole family. You can pray at any time. You can pray softly, but there's, let me ask you, I mean, what does it, what are you devoted to? I'm not here to guilt you, but what are you devoted to? Your hobbies? Consuming the next Netflix show? I mean, what? What are we devoted to? And then we've got to be devoted to the word. The word is what creates life. The word is what convicts. The the word is what converts. The word is what counsels. And so when they say this, I want you to see with, with our time left what happens. So they devote themselves to the prayer and the ministry of the word and what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose, and then they mentioned these seven guys. By the way, they choose Greek men to deal with a Greek problem. Here's the principle that you raise up people who are familiar with that problem. The worst thing a church can do is to start having people who are not invested and not involved in a certain ministry area start making decisions about that ministry area. These men were raised up from within. Then look what happens. They set them before the apostles and they prayed. And they laid their hands on them. That's, that's the way to say, the, I see the hand of God and the plan of God in your life. And then look, in verse seven, you might think in verse seven, if you didn't read it before, you might think it just says, and all the widows were fed. And no widows were neglected. It's like, look, that was so low level. We fixed that problem. There was something even more important that needed to happen. Look here. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Why was the word of God able to increase? Because somebody was able to give it attention. You have to understand this. If you want the word of God, and I know you do, if you're a Christian, at least 10% of you wants this. If you would like the word of God to increase in your home, you're going to have to give it attention. If you're like, I would like the word of God to increase in my kid's life, you're going to have to give it attention. If you're like, I would like the, the, the community group, I'd like my community group to be stronger and more centered. You're going to have to give it attention, community group leader. This is what happens, right? I, this happens to me, people will come up to me, talk to me afterwards, they say, do you have cameras in our house when you preach? Because you keep saying things that are hitting me exactly where I am and exactly what we're dealing with. It's like, nothing special. No, we don't have cameras. i we don't have cameras. No, it's like, no, here's what happens. When somebody can give it attention and say, Lord, what does this have to do with us? And then somebody also can pray. This is what we wanna see. We wanna see, look, if you look in verse one, it says the disciples increase. In verse seven, it says they multiplied. Here's, here's a radical prayer to pray for our church and our city. Lord, would the church in our city grow at a greater rate than the population of our city? So the po- there's population growth. I mean, we're not Raleigh, we're not Charlotte, but our city's growing. A, a movement is defined by missiologists as when more disi- the, the population of disciples in a, in a city is growing at a greater rate than the general population growth. And then it says, and this is a great word for our city, it says, priests became obedient to the faith. That means religiously lost people. That means pastors at mainline churches who are lost. This means, and, there's, and, and I'm, you know, I'm not thinking of one person in general here, but we definitely in our church have religiously lost dads. And it breaks wives' hearts. And it breaks their kids' hearts. And power happens is when God says, I'm going I'm to do something radical. I'm even going to save and change the lives of religiously lost people what does this have to do with us? This is really practical because the family is the first church and home is the first mission field. And I'm asking every person, especially dad, to say, what do I need to stop doing? And what do I need to start doing? So that the prayer and word can be big in my home. A couple weeks ago, I was with a pastor uh, from New York city and um, he was telling a story. And he said, he said, you know, when I was He said, I grew up in a Christian home, he said, but when I uh, got into my teenage years, like happens with a lot of teenagers, he said, I started to be really rebellious. And I started to just completely walk away from Christ and walk into the world. He said, and my dad, he said, I didn't know all this at the time. He said, I learned it later. He said, but my dad was a strong Christian, but my dad was also a passive man. He said, but something happened in my dad's heart. He saw his son leaving the church and leaving the faith. And his dad told him years later, he had a conversation with himself and said, if I don't go after my son in the unseen realm, I don't know who will. So he said, I didn't know this. He said, but every day when I, went, when I left for school, my dad would go up into my room and he would anoint my bed and my pillow. And he would stand over my bed and he would pray, Lord, Holy Spirit, would you haunt the dreams of my son? He said, and then he would walk into my closet, and he would anoint all of my clothes, and he'd get on his knees and he'd say, "Would you please help my son to take off the works of the flesh and put on the work of the the, 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 put on the Lord Jesus Christ?" And he said. I believe I'm standing here before you today because my dad was devoted to the word and prayer. What changes a city is not when a church gets a bigger building downtown. What changes a city is when everybody who's part of that church says, we are going to be devoted to the word and prayer. We're going to give our time and we're going to give our energy and we're gonna reorganize our priorities so that we can go deeper in the word and prayer. Let's pray. Lord, I I just pray for every dad, especially right now. Lord, help us. I pray for the single mom too, who feels alone with her children. Lord, we, we just ask that we would be a church that goes after our children in the unseen realm, Lord. We would pray over them. We would pray passionately, Lord. We believe, Lord, like Father Nash believe that you hear prayer. Lord, we are recommitting that this facility, because you, you said you said in the Old Testament, my house will be a house of prayer. We're committing that, Lord. For your glory, Lord, this place will be a house of prayer. It will be a, place, a house of worship, Lord. It will be a place where the word will be faithfully preached. It will be a place where... Teenagers will give their lives to Christ and be baptized. It's a place, Lord, that we promise, we vow, Lord, from here we will go everywhere. We will not forget the widow. Lord, give us grace, Lord, to have that tension where we have to, we want to genuinely care for the ministry and mercy needs in our church and continue the mission forward. Help us to live in that tension, Lord. I pray you would raise up more men and women in our church who could say that I could serve a table in this area. I could serve a table in this area. I could serve a table in this area, Lord. Do all this for your glory and our good. We pray this in Christ's name, amen.